You know what's cool? Finding out that someone you've interviewed a few times is starting to get noticed. Their talent, their drive, their dream, it's all happening right in front of their eyes. You know, I've been lucky enough to feature a variety of artists at different stages in their career. But you know what? It's just really fun and somewhat gratifying to watch someone who's appeared on this show a few times starting to make some waves. So I am incredibly grateful to be bringing back to the show Yasmin Williams, the amazingly talented guitarist whose latest album, Urban Driftwood, has been receiving glowing reviews in Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, NPR, and some local paper called The Washington Post. Now, as astute listeners of this show know, this is Yasmin's third appearance in her second featured episode on Four Songs. She was one of my first guests last summer when I was just starting out, and we spoke again to chat about her beautiful song After the Storm in October for the Four Songs political special. Now, a few months later, her album Urban Driftwood is being featured by some of the biggest media outlets in music. Of course, this well-earned publicity has nothing at all to do with her frequent appearances on this show. But you know what? I'm the host, and I'm shameless, so I thought I'd at least mention it and let you, dear listener, connect the dots. So welcome to this episode of Four Songs. I'm your host, Rob Thormeyer, and let's get to it. Now, if you've listened to some of these earlier episodes featuring Yasmin, you already know that she's one of this country's most innovative guitarists and composers. She's created a unique playing style all her own, and her sound is hypnotic, emotional, inspirational, and relevant. When we spoke last summer, we discussed how she mastered the guitar after mastering the video game Guitar Hero, which helped her develop her picking, strumming, and organic approach. Check it out in the archive, all right? Now, back then, Yasmin was in the midst of recording Urban Driftwood, and although it was still a work in progress, you could tell just how excited she was about it. And now, with the album having been released in January 2021, we know why she was so anxious. Urban Driftwood is a masterpiece. So for this latest episode of Four Songs, I spoke with Yasmin again from her home in Northern Virginia. We talked about four songs from the album, Sun Showers, Swift Breeze, Adrift, and Jarabi. Each song was breathtaking in its scope, as is her ability to make such rhythmic, melodic music. But more importantly, each song is unique. Her versatility knows no bounds, as she is just as comfortable in writing Pan-African songs while also paying homage to her guitar-shredding past. Yasmin is quickly becoming one of the most important young artists in music, and I'm thrilled to welcome her back to the show. But real quick, a note about the audio in this episode. Something incredibly strange happened to my connection about a third of the way through our interview. I couldn't tell at the time, so I didn't know until I listened back to it that my audio was unlistenable. But Yasmin sounds just fine, so I decided just to re-record my questions, so it might sound a little weird, a little bit of a stilted back and forth, but, you know, I'm not the star of the show, Yasmin is. And I think it sounds just fine. Anyway, here we go. Please welcome back Yasmin Williams to Four Songs. Well, welcome back, Yasmin. It's great to see you again. Thanks for joining me on Four Songs for a record second time for a full episode. This is your third oh, time really? actually on the show. A yeah, record? The, third time on the, sh- the record is your second full episode, so that's pretty cool. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for having yeah. me. <laughs> well, very pleased to have you back, and I'm glad you know, you're getting such great publicity over your fantastic new album, Urban Driftwood. So I was going to ask about that, but since yeah. you're talking about it now, what's that been like? Been yeah, it's stone? been... It's been insane. Yeah, Washington Post, um, NPR. It, oh my gosh, every day it seems to be something. It's great. It's a. It's wonderful. It's a great problem to have. My emails are in shambles. Um, I'm happy I <laughs> saw your email to be back on here because it's just everything gets drowned out now. But 
yeah, it's it's been great. I'm super excited people are listening to the record and like the record so much. And yeah, it's definitely one above anything I had planned previously prior to the release. And so one of the things I was always wondering about is when we talked for the first time last summer about, I think most of the songs were off of Unwind, but we talked yeah. about a handful from this album too because you uh, added them to this one. But how has your writing or has it changed and, and styles? I know you added some the looper pedal but i'm just curious what else you, you may have used it's, here that yeah it's changed i have more tools like i have a harp guitar now which is cool i used that a bit on the record i have a whole pedal board the looper pedal um i i guess just even how i think about songwriting has changed a little bit in terms of like using other instruments like the kora um the kalimbas tap shoes which I used tap shoes on my first album too, but um, I'm just kind of thinking about everything in terms of like what I can do or what I can put into a song to make it better. And like, I'm thinking of things more compositionally now, which is great. It, I guess it makes the song sound better. <laughs> I think that's the biggest shift that's happened. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, when we talked last time, you mentioned that Nirvana, Grunge, and Jimi Hendrix were some of your biggest influences early on. But what about now? Who are you listening to now? Hmm. I guess I've been listening to... Well, I don't... I guess it's what's kind of lately. I've been listening to more kind of West African music. Like, who have I been listening to? Uh, Seku Keita plays Kora. Even meeting Amadou. Um, he's told me about some people who I've been listening. Amadou's the person who played the djembe on Urban Driftwood. And more folk. I've des definitely been listening to more folk music. Elizabeth Cotton, um, a little bit more blues, and stuff like that. Which, I guess, I'm not sure if it was really something I thought about for when I was writing on um, Urban Driftwood. But I, it is something I'm thinking about more now. But I guess for Urban Driftwood, I just really wanted to experiment with combining the music I listened to as a kid. So hip-hop or smooth jazz all of that into my more folky influences that I also have with just fingerstyle guitar playing in general. Yeah, I think that was the main combo for this record. And what does the name Urban Driftwood mean to you? I know it's a song on the album, but I'm pretty sure it's a bit more than that. Can you explain a little bit? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to the name. So basically, it's a combination of a lot of things. But the two main things are urban kind of refers to me. I guess being a black artist, I, I a lot of black artists are kind of put into an urban box or are expected to be or play more urban music or whatever, which is kind of a tongue in cheek thing because my music's not really urban <laughs> per se. And urban driftwood also refers to like nature was a big influence with this record. And I really wanted to incorporate kind of like the urban areas where my parents grew up in DC or Northern Virginia with the more suburban slash rural areas I grew up in and just kind of combine like my lineage to my life. And yeah, even the music that I listened to as a kid, like smooth jazz and go-go music and hip hop and combining that more urban flavor with like the more folk stuff I listen to now. Yeah, the name, the, the album name has a ton of, of various <laughs> meanings. So we're going to be talking about four songs from Urban Driftwood, Sun Showers, Swift Breeze, Adrift, and Jarabi. Before we do, I just got to tell you, Yasmin, 
This album is like a revelation. I mean, there is so much going on, and I hear so many influences from Taj Mahal to Joe Satriani to some real big guitar gods here. Just a breathtaking range of styles. Now, last time we talked, we discussed After the Storm, which was a politically inspired song related to the Black Lives Matter movement. How did the times influence the album as a whole? Yeah, it influenced the entire album, really. 2020 was basically when I finished writing most of the songs on the album, uh, the, the majority, maybe like 80%. And it, all of the songs were, like even the track listing itself was inspired by the arc of 2020. The beginning of the albums is pretty hopeful sounding, you know, obviously this is pre-COVID. And then it kind of gets <laughs> a bit darker as the album goes on. But yeah, 2020 definitely inspired the album in numerous ways. The most important being the political unrest that was occurring um, in the middle of 2020 to the end, and along with just being stuck in the house and just going through a pandemic and all of these things happening simultaneously can put you in a pretty negative mind space. Um, at least the average person would be <laughs> in that. And I wanted the record to sound more hopeful, more, I guess, I wanted it to remind us of how we felt prior to all of these kind of tragic things happening and how we can get back to that place. So one thing I've been curious about, Yasmin, we've been all been home for now for, gosh, almost a year, man. Last time we talked, we talked about how you use form to express some of these emotions. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that just a bit more. Because we're talking about processing so much and being at home and not being living, not being able to live a normal life and time being amorphous where one day seems just like the next. Is that hard for you as an artist to express and experience this, what, you're, what we're all going through? Yeah, I well, weirdly, no. For this album, it was pretty, I didn't know what else to do to get through the year. So it was either put my head down and, and try to finish something and create music out of what was happening or sit and be depressed or whatever. <laughs> so I didn't like the second option. So I went with the first one. Um, yeah, it wasn't difficult really at all. Um, it was, well, it finishing songs is difficult, obviously, and writing your best music is difficult. But I mean, in terms of like mentally, I didn't have to really mentally prepare myself for anything. It was really just kind of a natural, just reflective process throughout writing the album. Um, I wasn't really too concerned with how the songs turned out or anything. I just wanted to like write the best material I could and have it reflect how I was feeling throughout the year. And I figured that would be enough. I guess it was. To me, I, I hear heaviness when I listen to Urban Driftwood. It's not overwhelming, but you can hear some kind of optimism, some cautious optimism throughout. But there also seems to be a weight of the unknown with the virus, the vaccine, even politically. You know, there's a sense in the album that things could get better, but, you know, things could get a little bit worse, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, I wanted the album to sound of the time, but I didn't want it to sound, you know, just too dark or aggressive or, I guess, however, you know, angry. I wanted it to sound heavy, but in a way that was more reflective or in a way that can help people think about the year or whatever they need to think about, you know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess heavy is a good word. I haven't really thought of, of it, describing it like that, but yeah. But heavy and like a, a, a more like, I don't know, reflective or meditative almost way. So let's get to the songs. 
First up is the opener, Sun Showers, and I was reading in the liner notes that you've had this one for a while. Yeah, this one is a <laughs> this one and Swift Breeze are the oldest. I wrote those the framework of those in high school, so like 2012 when I released my first EP. But I changed them kind of significantly since obviously that was what, what was that 11 10 I don't know a, a lot of years nine years ago 2021. <clears throat> 2012, nine years ago. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a better player now and I can, I just played the songs how I would envision them now. Since when I wrote them, I wanted to include them because when I wrote them, I was kind of in, I was still in like my metal, like angsty kind of teenage state. And yeah, I wanted to include those just because it kind of like, Sun showers kind of mirrored how I felt at the beginning of the year in terms of like, it's, it's light, it's playful, it's hopeful. It's, you know, unassuming, that type of thing, but also you know, lyrical in a way. Sun's showers, I feel, it's like there's a bit of an awakening with this one. I feel like it's kind of the beginning. It's like you're strolling through and you're waking up. There's a freshness to it. And this is the song I, I hear a bit of Taj Mahal and some of his world music. I hear it throughout the song actually a few times. That's actually, yeah, that's actually really cool. I need to listen to more of him. I know I've listened to a little bit, but I don't know why I haven't <laughs> delved deeper. Now I will. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. <laughs> And I'm talking about when I mentioned Taj Mahal, this is the part that beginning with the world music kind of flighty chords, but then there's that, that bluesy part in the middle that Taj is so well known for. Yeah. And you know, you don't do a whole lot of what I would call traditional soloing, but in the middle of this one, I feel like there is a blues riff that you added. Like, well, basically the beginning is similar to the original, but then when you get into kind of, well, it's not, I don't know if it's faster paced or like there's more going on. Like once you get past the intro part, that's where the change happens. Um, the rhythmic part is totally different. How did you come across it again and decide to put it on the album? My mom liked 
that one from she's always was kind of telling me or putting it in my ear like you know you should really redo those songs that you're in high school i think they're pretty good and i was always like yeah okay mom but <laughs> then i kind of sat down and thought about it and was like yeah she's kind of right i think these two especially could work since the headspace i was in then when i wrote it is kind of similar to now and what's going on now so i i reworked them And I definitely had to remember how to play them. I didn't remember. Weirdly, I wrote tunings down back then that I still have. So I had the tunings for the songs, thank goodness. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Swift Breeze is different too. I use a harp guitar in that, and obviously I didn't have that nine years ago. And yeah, but it was cool to include them. My mom was kind of the catalyst for that. But I once I sat down and actually thought about it, it, it matched the rest of the songs that would were going to be on the album. that I'd written at that point. And yeah, it, it worked out. Yeah, I really enjoyed Swift Breeze too. Because as you mentioned, there's a little bit more, maybe not aggression, but yeah. To me, all your music is organic, but this is the one to me that would have fit on the Joe Satriani album in the mid-90s. He had an album, came out in 1995, I think, that was like his first one without drum machines or crazy sound effects. This song would have fit perfectly on that album. That's That makes sense, because I was definitely in my kind of shredder metal type phase when I wrote it, so... Yeah. And the name works too, Swift Breeze, because it just kind of hits you like a Swift Breeze. Like right. A swift <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I put in the middle of the album too, because it's kind of like the turning point for the rest of the record and it mimics how the year went. How many guitars are you playing on this one? Yeah. So there's three. I used a harp guitar on Swift Breeze. I use my old Sublime guitar. The company is Sublime Guitar Company, I think. Um, it's an acoustic. Not <laughs> Not the, right, not the band, that's why I corrected it. Yeah, that was that guitar I used on my first album, Unwind, and I used that one on a drift. And I used my Skytop custom guitar for the rest of the songs on there, which has a very crystalline, like, clear quality, which is cool. So what's your mindset when you're recording a song like this? Do you feel like there's something different when it's a heavier song when you're going into the studio? I remember feeling nervous about it because... I don't know why, actually. Um, the song is kind of difficult to play. At least the tapping parts are. Um, there's a tapping part that's overlaid on top of the rhythm guitar type part, and then there's a drum part. Yeah, recording it, I was definitely just like, get it right, <laughs> because it's the shortest song on the record, and it's kind of the pivotal moment, and the tapping part is just very fast. I, I think I sped it up from the when I wrote it nine years ago significantly, but yeah, I, it 
yeah, it has a lot of urgency, which is makes it a bit difficult to record, but it was it was fun. I think I got enough couple takes. And just generally speaking, what's it like to record some of these older songs? For me, when I hear a song that I used to love years ago, it can take me right back to that emotion. Does the same thing happen here when it's a song that you wrote? Is it emotional to record a song that you wrote so many years ago? It was weird to listen back to it, yeah. But I I think you're right. I did go back to how I was feeling then, which is I think why I wanted to put them on the record now, because I felt similar now, or when I was writing this record to how I felt then. Well, similar but different. I guess similar feelings, but for different reasons. Yeah, I kind of remember how it, it is weird going back to older songs just because it's like, oh, I was a kid when I wrote that. You know, it was, it's, you know, you kind of think you're a better player now and you don't want to necessarily go back to <laughs> when you were like 14 or 15 or whatever. But yeah, they're also just good songs. So I, I, yeah, it, it was fun going back and listening to the old stuff and making it new again. So we'll move on to Adrift. This song is a change of pace from Swift to Breeze, and you had some help with this one too. So who's playing the cello with you on this? Taryn Wood. She was, I was in her guitar class, funnily enough. Uh, well, I, I wasn't really, I didn't do anything. I helped her like, <laughs> with. The, I helped teach the other kids in the class and it was just like a fun period for me. But yeah, she was a great cello player and I wanted cello on that song because it, I had actually written the cello part out, um, like on, you know, notation sheet music and she was the only person i could think of and that i wanted on there so it was really fun playing it's weird playing with a, a former teacher but it was, it was really fun and did the song change as you played with her did she alter it at all I, well she may have changed like a note or two just because you know um i don't play cello so some things may have been weird to like notes may have been weird to transition to or play but it was basically the same as how i wrote it she just played what i wrote basically when you write a song like this with two instruments in mind do you hear how you want the cello to sound and write it out? Yeah, in terms of like dynamics and rehearsal notes and all of that. Yeah, all of that was written down. And I guess specifically, since you mentioned how the cello sounds with the production, Jeff Gruber I worked with, and he made the cello sound very dark, very kind of bassy, which was a cool thing that I wanted since sometimes recorded cello can sound kind of grainy and um, nasal almost. He made it sound very kind of warm or dark, but basically, which was cool. That was, I, I couldn't have written that down on the page because she can't change how her cello sounds. So he, he kind of did that in like post-production, which was, which was great.
it, you know, it's interesting you call the song Adrift, which implies being sort of unmoored or somewhat out of control. But you're not out of control at all. In fact, it's the cello that goes into somewhat different places while your guitar is really the anchor for this. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the guitar definitely stays steady, especially since I'm playing like the, those repeated notes throughout the whole song. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's not, I guess it doesn't mean like, it doesn't, Adrift doesn't refer to it and I guess in like the traditional sense of like being lost or wayward or like out of control, it's it's more of just like at that point in the album, I wanted to signify where the country was at that point, which was very chaotic. And, you know, are we going to get the vaccine or not? And all of that. <laughs> all of that. So that the, the, the title was more for like just like where the country was at the time of like me putting the track listing together. Not necessarily the song, but to me, the song has a very kind of like sailboat vibe. Like you're kind of just like. Yeah. And water can definitely be pretty, like, turbulent or adrift or whatever, so that's also in it, too. I don't know. It's, I guess it depends on how you look at it. One thing I really appreciate here is I feel like you allow Taryn to shine. It's like a new level of confidence in that you know your guitar playing will stand out, so you're comfortable in giving her the space to take the spotlight here. Yeah, that was definitely intentional. I, I wanted it to be more of a... I didn't want it just to be like guitar with cello accompaniment, you know. I want it to be an actual like duet. And cello is such a great instrument that I, I wanted to write a, a decent part <laughs> for it. Especially at the end, I wanted her to you know be able to play the melody and... Um, and to sound nice and lyrical and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun to write. How did you record this one? Did you record your part separately from hers or did you do it live? We did it live together in separate rooms because COVID. So we just had, <laughs> yeah, we had headphones on and we could hear each other in live. So we would play the, We just played it together that way. So we're going to wrap things up with Jarabi. And thank you again for your time tonight, Yasmin. This has been a great conversation. I greatly appreciate you being here. Jarabi is... um. It's a it's basically an old, a very old uh, West African, I guess it's kind of like almost like a version of like their classical music. Like we have classical music here. They have that the same thing there. This is like a very traditional song. 
it's about independence and I wanted to include it on the album basically because it was the first chorus song that I learned and also because I wanted to redo the song. So I thought it would be kind of cool to redo like an older African uh, traditional song and kind of put like an African-American spin on it, put in like a drum beat, put in some guitar, kalimbas, stuff like that. Almost like a pan-Africanist type approach. This track in particular was also kind of supposed to be meditative in a way because it kind of repeats throughout. And I just kind of add layers on top of the repeating parts. And it's just kind of supposed to help you segue from like through the woods, which is very kind of not in your face, but like more energetic sounding. I don't know. So like Jarabi is supposed to kind of help you get to the tail end of the album. And I just wanted to kind of put the listener into a more relaxed state, which I, I hope it does. mentioned the drums on this but what else is on this song i play uh drums on just on my guitar and there's kalimbas there's guitar and there's kora and i also use the harp guitar too for those low bass notes that you hear throughout the song Yeah. And real quick, what is the Cora? The Cora is a 21 string. Well, mine is 21 strings. I think most typically have 21 strings. Some have 22. But it's a very kind of tall harp-like instrument. It's like kind of like, you know, a harp is pretty large. A Cora is not large at all, but it's tall and it has two sets of strings. 11 strings, I think, on the left and 10 on the right. And you use your thumbs and your index fingers to play the strings. One string is equivalent to one note. And you kind of like alternate hands to play, which is weird um, and a lot different from guitar. There's no strumming involved or anything. It's very kind of most chord players play really fast, like ostinato type patterns. And uh, yeah, I'm not skilled really, so I can play slow and <laughs> I can play a few notes. I played, I think Jarabi is like the most simple probably song you can learn on Cora first, which it's not really that simple. How long did it take you to learn how to play it? I'm still learning. I, I've only been playing maybe on and off for uh, a year probably. Um, it's very difficult to teach. It's impossible, I think, to teach yourself. It's not like guitar. It's, it's just there's a lot of history with the instrument 
and it's very difficult to learn how to play it by yourself. But I'm still learning. I usually I I use it mainly for like a songwriting as a songwriting tool because it can get I can play really cool patterns on it and like the notes just sound really cool. Certain patterns on there sound cool. Yeah, like to play the traditional songs, it's I'm not no, I can't I can't do that. <laughs> and I like that riff that you lay over top of that. Did you write that? No, it's fine. Yeah. The only thing that's from the original song is the part you hear in the beginning. The okay. uh, notes on the core part that you hear in the beginning that goes throughout the whole piece. And then I just layer on my additions on top of that. That riff was the last part I wrote for that because I figured there should be like kind of a solo thing on top of the, I think of the song as more of like a band. So like the stuff you hear in the beginning and the layering you hear in the beginning is like a band. And then the band quiets down for like the soloist, the, which is the riff you're talking about. But yeah, I hear all of that in my head at various points throughout the songwriting process. So at first it was just the core part and then I heard drums and then I heard kalimbas, and then I was like, oh, I should add the guitar part and the harp guitar, bass notes, and yeah. All of that comes at different points, but yeah, I do kind of hear it in my head a little bit. there with the songs but now that the album is out what what expectations do you have for this year in, in terms of just getting out none i don't <laughs> i have i just got a booking agent um which is cool so hopefully he can help me get some shows which he's already helping but this year is pretty no one knows what's gonna happen i'm hearing summer or fall people are hoping shows may get kind of back to normal, but other people are saying next year is probably a more realistic time. I'm thinking next year too, so I'm kind of planning for next year. I'm just gonna basically try to snag anything I can this year, <laughs> whether it's a tour or just shows here and there or live streams, whatever, and then kind of plan a tour for next year. I think that would be the safest thing to do. Oh, you do have some dates though coming up. And, and yeah, I have a in March, Jam and Job. Yeah, I have Jam and Job in March. I have other live streams that I'll post, other stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to get something going. But I mean, honestly, I'm so happy I released the record now because people have more time to listen. <laughs> so, I mean, even though shows aren't happening, it's, shows will happen at some point, and you know, the record will be out there, and people would have had time to for the record to set in and stuff. So. Yeah, I'm still excited for future tours, and hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and so in the meantime, where can people get the album, and how can they best support you? 
You can best support me by getting it from Bandcamp, yasminwilliams.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp is really great because you can actually purchase, you know, the vinyl and CDs and digital album. Um, or if you prefer streaming, that's that's fine too. The album's on any streaming platform, Tidal, Spotify, whatever. But Bandcamp is the best way <laughs> to support. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you for on. having me. Yeah, it's pleasure. super. I'm happy to have been on here now for a third time. Man. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yes, it is awesome, Yasmin. Thank you for joining me again. It was great to speak with you and looking forward to hearing what's next. The album is doing well. It's a fantastic listen. I encourage all of you to go pick it up. You can stream it just like she said. Get it online at Bandcamp or however you buy your online music these days. And you know, do yourself a favor and try and get the hard copy of it because the sound is just so much better. I mean, streaming is great, but it's not as good as having that copy in your CD player or your record player or however you listen to music because it's just... Anyway, I'm preaching to the choir. We'll be back soon. Got some great stuff coming. So thank you. See you later.